You know, I have said a lot of dumb things in my life. And I'm not going to share any of them with you, okay? I will share what Eric Raymond said. He recounts the dumbest thing I ever said. Here's what he said. I remember the dumbest thing I ever said. I was a fairly new Christian, and my wife and I were going to a church that emphasized a lot of outward conformity without a whole lot of understanding. In other words, I was getting really good at keeping all the rules, but did not have a robust understanding of the Christian life. One Sunday after morning worship, in a moment of shameless self-congratulation, I told my wife, you know, Christianity is really pretty easy. You go to church, read your Bible, stay out of trouble. It's not that hard. What an idiot. My Christian eyesight was pretty bad. I was unable to see and understand the glory of Christ in the gospel because of this monument of self that was blocking my view. On this particular Sunday, I was reclining back, admiring my mural of self-righteousness. I had no idea that it was actually graffiti on the life and death of Jesus, where righteousness was earned and self-righteousness was impugned. This is where understanding the holiness of God pervades everything. God's word instructs us as to who we are and who God is. Without understanding the scriptures, we will never rightly understand God or ourselves. I would have been in a much better Christian posture had I said, this Christian life is really hard. I really stink. I can't do anything right. And the more I look at God's word, the more I see my sin. If it wasn't for the perfect righteousness of Jesus, I would be done. I then and do now have a lot to learn. Therefore, I need to give myself to the word of God that I might know him better while scrubbing those hidden crevices of my heart that are ripe for self-glory. As Christians, we need heart surgery every day. We need a sermon from God every day. We need help every day. Pray that the Holy Spirit would not leave you alone, but that he would keep convicting you and driving you to the word that you might know, enjoy, and worship God in a manner that is befitting and consistent with his holiness. You see, when we boast and when we brag and when we walk with a little bit of swagger to our step and we rely on our own strength and we rely on our own wisdom, we are essentially spray painting the life and death of Jesus with graffiti. I mean, think about that. That's sobering. We graffiti the gospel when we boast in self. We vandalize the gospel with our self-glory. And that's what the super apostles were doing. That group of false teachers that had invaded the church in Corinth and had bewitched a select group of those church members, the super apostles were boasting and bragging. But what they failed to understand is that the Christian life is not about being strong. The Christian life is all about owning your own weakness. And that's what we're going to see today. So turn 
in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 11, what the Apostle Paul will show us today is that all boasting is foolish. It is absurd to boast of any of our accomplishments because we are who we are because of God's grace, not because of us and not because of anything that we've done. I mean, He is the one who gave us life. He gave us breath. He gave us gifts and talents. So it is absurd and it is crazy and it's ludicrous and it's ridiculous and it's senseless and it's irrational and it's insane to boast of our accomplishments. In other words, it's crazy. And you will sound like a madman if you do it. And that's exactly how Paul will describe himself today. Paul is going to boast today. But in mid-boast, he's going to pause and he's going to say, I'm boasting. This is crazy. But because the gospel is at stake in this church in Corinth, Paul will lower himself to the level of these super apostles and he will boast like they do. But Paul will only boast of the things that show his weakness. That's Paul's testimony. And it's yours too. And that's our big idea today. Weakness is your testimony. As musician Charlie Peacock said, it took me far too long to discover that my weakness is my testimony. Weakness is your best pulpit for declaring the glory and the all-sufficiency of your Savior, Jesus. Not your strengths, not your giftings, and not your wisdom. Your weakness is the best pulpit that you have to declare to others that your Savior is sufficient and that He is enough. So weakness is your testimony, and it's mine. And that means that you will never graduate beyond weakness. You will never grow up beyond weakness. Spiritually mature Christians never rise above need. We need to learn that. Spiritually mature Christians never rise above need. Spiritually mature Christians go down deeper into weakness. Spiritually mature Christians, the longer they live, realize more and more just how weak and needy they are. And then that causes them to just collapse on Jesus. Listen, weakness is not something to avoid. It's not something to escape and to leave behind. It is life as a Christian. Weakness is discipleship. Weakness is the way we stumble forward and kind of limp our way home to glory. And that's where the Spirit of God meets us. The Holy Spirit meets you in your weakness. And here's why. Because grace flows downhill. 
Grace does not defy gravity and flow uphill. Grace flows downhill to weak, needy, dependent sinners. And that's why Paul will say that he will only boast in the things that show his weakness. Paul can rejoice in his weakness because that is precisely where Jesus meets him. And so the GPS coordinates and the pinned location of where you will encounter the power of the gospel in your life is smack dab in the middle of your weakness, smack dab in the middle of all of your fears Smack dab in the middle of all your suffering and all of your, I don't think I will make it. I don't think I can go on anymore. Smack dab in the middle of your tossing and turning and can't eat and can't sleep because you're so overwhelmed and stressed out. That's where the spirit meets you. And so weakness is how the Christian life works. Weakness, weakness is the wardrobe that leads you and I into the Narnia of God's sufficient grace. And that's why you can boast and you can even rejoice and you can exult in your weakness. So second, that's all introduction. See what happens when you take... Uh, Two weeks off, you have a whole page of introduction. I haven't even got to scripture yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 16 and hear the word of the Lord. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. So Paul is now going to stoop to the level of these super apostles, and he's going to play their boasting game. Now, of course, Paul despises boasting because it's foolish, it's antithetical to the gospel, but he must do it because the super apostles were boasting in their accomplishments and their credentials and their speaking abilities and their theological degrees and how much they knew of the Bible. And they want Paul to do what they're doing. They want Paul to flash his resume and to prove that he is an apostle of Jesus. But Paul doesn't want to do this. But he knows that he must stoop to their level and boast in order to expose them. So Paul even states here that he is boasting not with the Lord's authority, but by his own choice to be foolish. In other words, he wants to make sure that the Corinthians understand that the Lord does not condone foolish boasting, but Paul will boast according to the flesh. He will boast like the super apostles do for just a quick moment, but only in order to save the Corinthians from their clutches. And here's what's so surprising to Paul. The Corinthians were actually putting up with this spiritual abuse by these super apostles. 
The Corinthians were becoming enslaved to them. The, the super apostles were devouring this church, taking advantage of them and abusing them. And how does Paul respond? He says, we were too weak for that. Well, what does Paul mean when he says that? He's taking a jab at those in this church who are aligned with the super apostles. It's like Paul saying kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know us, we're just spiritual weaklings. We were too weak to take advantage of you and exploit you and enslave you and devour you and abuse you and hit you and hurt you. We were too weak to do any of those things. And by saying this, Paul wants the Corinthians to see just how abusive and overbearing these false teachers were. He's pointing out how these self-proclaimed spiritual giants, these false teachers, had this church in a headlock. And so in order for their grip to be broken, Paul will do something foolish. Look at verse 21 again, right in the middle of verse 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. So Paul will now talk about how Foolish this boasting is, but it's foolish from two different perspectives. In verses 22 and 23, Paul is going to boast of his credentials. He's going to show them his resume for a moment. And that kind of boasting is foolish to Paul. But then in verses 24 to 33, Paul is going to boast of his weaknesses. And this is foolish according to the super apostles. And so in verses 22 and 23... Paul's going to compare his resume with the super apostles, even though he thinks it's all foolish. He even prefaces all of his boasting by saying, I am speaking as a fool. But notice that Paul then interrupts himself as he's talking about himself. In the middle of sharing his resume, Paul declares, I'm talking like a madman. It's as if Paul is saying, do they want to boast of their credentials? Okay, if they want to boast, I can't believe I'm doing this, I'm acting like a fool. If they want to boast, then I'll boast too. And then, after starting to share his resume about how he is a Hebrew, he is an Israelite, he's an offspring of Abraham, he's a better servant of Christ than they are, he interrupts himself and he says, wait a minute, this is crazy. I'm talking like a madman. And so understand this. Anytime a Christian boasts about himself or herself, and does not boast in the cross, and does not boast in their weakness, then they are acting like a madman. Anytime a Christian talks about himself, you guys know people like this, right? They think they're the greatest thing in the world. Anytime a Christian talks about himself and boasts and brags, then that person is talking like a crazy person. And it's crazy to boast of anything except the Lord because all that we have and all that we are comes from him. Who are we to toot our own horn? Because it's all of grace. And that's humbling, isn't it? 
So Paul boasts foolishly in his own eyes about his credentials, but he only does it with two verses. So he can only do it for two verses. He shares four things about himself in two verses, and then he can take it no longer and says that he's crazy for talking like this. And then Paul will spend the next 11 verses, and the Corinthians and the super apostles thought this was foolish. He will spend the next 11 verses boasting about his weakness. And then all of that will culminate with one of Paul's most humiliating and humbling experiences of his life. And he will boast in that. So look at verse 23 again. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So while the super apostles declared that having spiritual experiences, mountaintop experiences and seeing visions and having impeccable speaking and preaching abilities, they said that's what qualifies us in ministry. Paul shows us that the exact opposite is true. Suffering is the mark of a true minister of the gospel. As D.A. Carson said, it is almost as if the primary, if not the only, incontestable criterion of true apostleship is massive suffering in the service of Christ. And so what Paul boasts about in these 11 verses, his suffering which was considered foolish by others. It's the primary criterion of his apostleship. Massive suffering was Paul's pulpit. And so verses 22 through 33 are in the Bible to remind you that weakness is your testimony. It's your pulpit. And here's the thing about weak people. Weak people have to trust. They have to. They have to rely on someone or something for outside help. And so admitting your weakness and admitting your need is the key to gospel freedom. Because our strength comes from the one we trust. We lean on Jesus when we aren't strong, which is all the time, isn't it? That means then that being scared, feeling helpless, being frail, feeling hopeless, that stuff takes you to Jesus 
There's no better place to be. Despair takes you to Jesus and suffering, massive suffering takes you to Jesus. Being despondent takes you to Jesus. Feeling overwhelmed with life and parenting and work and COVID takes you to Jesus. See, these situations, these life circumstances that we fear and that we dread and that come barging into our lives unannounced and not welcome, they're actually what usher us to Jesus. And so this is the pathway home. This is how Paul experienced Jesus himself through massive suffering. Think about everything that Paul endured as he spells it out here in his resume of weakness. He says he was thrown into prison numerous times, okay? He had to do that thing numerous times. He received countless beatings and said he is often near death, okay? Not just once, often near death. Five times, Paul says, he was whipped with 39 lashes by the Jews, I did my math right. That's 196 lashes. They wouldn't, you could only uh, uh, beat someone or whip someone 40 times, so they would stop at 39. So five times he experienced that at the hands of the Jews, his people, because he was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. Think about that. And three times he says he was beaten with rods by the Romans. What did his back and legs look like? Once He was almost stoned to death. You can read about it in Acts 14. They just started picking up rocks, left him for dead. They thought he was dead. He's knocked out, blood probably coming out everywhere, and he gets back up and walks into the city. And then three times he was shipwrecked, he says. And then there's still one more shipwreck coming Paul's way. After he writes 2 Corinthians, he actually experiences one more shipwreck. You can read about it in Acts chapter 27. A fourth shipwreck is coming Paul's way. Stay off a boat, dude. (laughs) If you're on a boat and you see Paul get there, you're like, oh my goodness, we're going down. This was his weakness resume. And he says he also spent a night and a day floating in the sea, perhaps clinging to a piece of the ship. I mean, think about 24 hours just floating in the ocean. And then he says he's in constant danger. Danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, that's the Jewish people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger at false brothers. This is certainly uh, maybe a jab at the super apostles, although he wouldn't call them brothers because they're not in Christ. Everywhere Paul went, he was in danger. I mean, what a life. How would Paul describe ministry? If Paul came to our our missions conference next week at the 9 o'clock Q&A with missionaries, and he said, hey, Paul, would you describe ministry for us? He said one word, dangerous. Anybody want to be a missionary? Think about that. Then he experienced many sleepless nights, and he's often hungry, often thirsty, often cold. And so this is what Paul will boast in, the massive Suffering that clearly showed his weakness. And by listing these things, the Corinthians should realize that there's no way that Paul can boast about enduring all of these things by his own strength. He can only point to Jesus and say, 
It's because of him that I survived. And it's true for you and it's true for me. We can only point to Jesus and say, it's because of him that I survived. He's the only reason I'm still here. I mean, think about your life, the 10,000 trials that you've gone through, those moments, something happened in your life five years ago that you've probably forgotten about, but in that moment, you thought, I'm not going to make it. This is so stressful. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I'm tossing. I'm turning. I've chewed my fingernails down to my elbow. God, are you going to come through? And he came through for you. And you've already forgotten it. And so have I. How many times has Jesus come through for you so that you could just say, it's because of him that I survived. And that's why Paul says he's a better servant of Christ because he endured all of this for Christ. What made Paul endure all that he endured? He loved Jesus. He never got over the fact that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for Paul so that in him Paul would be counted as righteous in God's eyes. Paul never got over that. And I hope you never get over that too. Paul rubbed the gospel deep down into his pores and that's why he endured everything that he did. It's why he didn't quit. He never got over the love of God for sinners. He suffered for his Lord because he loved his Lord. Do you love him? I think perhaps one reason the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to give this list of his sufferings is so that we would be encouraged. Paul went through such intense and massive suffering, and yet he emerged still standing. As Ralph Davis says, sometimes the clearest evidence that God has not deserted you is not that you are successfully past your trial, but that you are still on your feet in the middle of it. We may be tempted to think that God has abandoned us because we're stuck smack dab in the middle of a trial and we want it to be over, but the fact that we are still standing in the middle of the trial is proof that the Lord has not deserted us. The fact that you are here today sitting in that pew or watching online, the fact that you are is proof that God has not abandoned you. And Paul knew that. He knew he was not abandoned as he experienced all of these things that he mentions here. So let me ask you, who got Paul through all of this suffering? Who enabled Paul to endure hard labor and numerous imprisonments and countless beatings and multiple near-death experiences? Who did? Jesus did. And who will get you through what you're going through right now? Jesus will. Who sustained Paul as he was whipped 196 times? Who sustained Paul as he was beaten three times by rods and was once stoned with rocks so severely that they thought he was dead? Who? Who sustained him? Jesus did. And who will sustain you? 
as you suffer, Jesus will. Who calmed Paul's heart as he was shipwrecked three times and then floated in the ocean for 24 hours? Jesus did. And who will calm your heart as you experience the sufferings of this life? Jesus will. Who was with Paul as he experienced danger after danger after danger after danger after danger after danger after danger? Jesus was with him. And who will be with you as you experience danger after danger after danger after danger after danger? Jesus will. I'm not sure you heard me. Jesus is going to be with you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to carry you. You'll be standing on your feet. You might have a cane. You might have a limp. But you'll still be there. The Holy Spirit met Paul during and in the aftermath of these long days of ministry And after all of the imprisonments and the beatings and the left for dead moments and the shipwrecks and the danger, 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 the Spirit was never absent as Paul went through all of this massive suffering and he was with him in the aftermath. Like when it was hard to walk and his back was oozing pus and scabbed over and when he couldn't see well and when he didn't think he would make it One more day, the Spirit was there sustaining him. Moment by moment, day by day. And the Holy Spirit will do the same for you. Moment by moment, day by day. And you'll have days where you don't think you can go on anymore, but you will. Not by your strength, but by the Spirit's. Don't you just love the Holy Spirit? What tenderness. He gently picks us up and sustains us moment by moment. Listen, if you're still standing on your feet in the middle of intense suffering, it is because the Holy Spirit is holding you up. You ought to thank Him. Today would be a great day for you to thank the Holy Spirit for sustaining you. All these many years. The Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you today that whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're suffering, He is with you and He will strengthen you by His grace. The Holy Spirit wants you to have assurance today as you walk out of these doors that you are going to make it, that His grace is sufficient. That he is working through all of the pain and the drama and the sorrow and the suffering. That though you were in the middle of intense and deep suffering, you were still standing on your feet and you have not been abandoned. And so all that Paul went through was recorded, I think, by the Spirit in Scripture to remind us that the same God will be with us whatever we go through. I'm sure you have your own paragraph like Paul. We all do. Our sufferings may be different, but we have all experienced some 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 29 kind of stuff. And how do we survive? Jesus. When's the last time you sat down 
and thought about all the ways that Jesus has sustained you through all of those crazy 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29 paragraphs of your life. Today would be a great day to give glory to God for sustaining you. Today would be a great day to just give Jesus glory for all the times and the ways that he has sustained you. George, George Herbert said, Thou hast given so much to me. Give me one more thing, a grateful heart. That's what we need. That's what we're shooting for. So Paul's boasting will culminate in calling on God as witness to one of the most humiliating and humbling experiences of his life. Look at verse 28. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So Paul says, on top of all this physical suffering that I've been talking about, I feel the weight of all the churches that have planted and the people that I'm still pastoring and care for. He says, I'm weak like everybody else. And when someone else falls into sin, he says, my passion still burns for the church. I've got these heart issues to deal with as well, caring for these people. He wants to move the Corinthians from this triumphalism that was being peddled by the super apostles, and he wants to move them to maturity in Christ. He's got all this physical suffering, and he's got this weighty heart issue as well. And then Paul gives a supreme example of his weakness. He tells of the time when he was in the city of Damascus and he was a wanted man for preaching the gospel. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. King Aretas was waiting on him to walk through the city gates. Paul was on TV that night, Damascus's most wanted. Everybody was looking for him. And yet Paul escaped by hiding in a basket that some of his friends lowered out of a window on the city wall. Why does Paul see this as one of his most humiliating moments? Because he originally set out for Damascus as a Pharisee to round up Christians and throw them in jail. But on the way to Damascus, you know the story, Paul experienced conversion. He was born again. Paul saw the Lord. The Holy Spirit regenerated him. He became a Christian. And so Paul originally was heading into the city of Damascus in pride and in arrogance and in swagger. And then he left in humility hiding in a basket, escaping the city at night under cover of darkness. He came to Damascus to arrest Christians, but his heart was arrested by the Holy Spirit. And this embarrassing run for your life and hide in a basket moment is what Paul will boast about. Not how many books he's written, not how he's a keynote speaker at the Gospel Coalition, None of that. He will boast about this humiliating moment of running scared for his life. Paul is telling you that like him, 
Weakness is your testimony. Weakness is your best pulpit to declare the glory and sufficiency of your Savior Jesus. And that means then that the weaker you feel, then the harder you will lean into and lean onto your Savior. The weaker you feel, the quicker you will collapse on Jesus. Self-righteous people don't do this, do they? Self-righteous people spray paint graffiti on the gospel. Self-sufficient people vandalize the gospel. But those who know just how weak and sinful they are simply cry out, the Christian life is really hard. I really stink. I can't do anything right. And the more I look at God's word, the more I see my sin. But if it wasn't for the perfect righteousness of Jesus, I would be done. So listen, your weakness, your suffering, your helplessness will drive you crazy and will turn you into a madman unless you understand the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is the story of a strong, all-powerful, all-sufficient Savior who pours out his sufficient grace on weak people. And God put 2 Corinthians in the Bible to expose your weakness and to expose mine so that we would run to him for strength and quit trying to do it on our own. Let me ask you, where do you feel weak today? Where do you feel helpless today? Identify it. And then just collapse into the arms of Jesus. Weakness is your testimony. And this is a good thing because weakness is what connects you to Jesus. See, we want to discard our weakness. We don't want to be helpless. But that's the key to coming to Jesus. And so our weakness and our failures and our embarrassing moments can be good things because they drive us to the throne of grace. Whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever suffering you are experiencing, my guess is that God is lovingly getting your attention again to remind you that you cannot do life on your own. You cannot do life in your own strength. You cannot do life in your own wisdom. So Jesus is telling you today, stop being allergic to helplessness. Stop trying to be strong. Stop trying to carry the burden. Stop worrying. Stop biting your nails. Stop pacing the floor. Stop panicking. You can trust me. Embrace your weakness because that's exactly where my grace will meet you. Let's pray. Jesus, we admit the Christian life is really hard. Heavenly Father, we admit we really stink. We can't do anything right. The more we look at your word, Father, the more we see our sin. And if it wasn't for the perfect righteousness of Jesus, we would be done. No hope at all. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his perfect righteousness. It is our hope. And thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, you have given us so much. We just want to ask you for one more thing today. Give us grateful hearts. In Jesus' name.
Amen.